On the morning of November 22, 1963, thousands of excited spectators lined the streets of downtown Dallas. President John F. Kennedy, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, and Texas Governor John Connolly cruised by in a Lincoln convertible limousine. The Kennedys smiled warmly and waved to their adoring fans. Around 12.30 p.m., their vehicle pulled past the Texas School Book Depository, and three shots erupted from the sixth floor of the building, killing President Kennedy and severely wounding Governor Connolly. By the end of the heartbreaking day, police had arrested their number one suspect. But Lee Harvey Oswald, a former U.S. Marine, denied any involvement in the murder and claimed he was set up. He was a patsy. Two days later, Oswald was supposed to be moved to a high-security jail. When he stepped out of the station, reporters and hecklers shouted questions and insults, but before he could make his way to the transfer vehicle, a man named Jack Ruby fatally shot Oswald. Jack Ruby had no personal ties to Kennedy and no obvious motive for taking justice into his own hands. But he did have a close relationship with some Dallas police officers who'd been known to trade favors in the past. In March 1964, Ruby testified in front of a jury who found him guilty of Oswald's murder and sentenced him to death. But in 1966, that decision was overturned by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. They claimed Ruby hadn't had a fair trial and he walked free. It was as if Ruby had received divine intervention. For decades, the bizarre events surrounding Kennedy's murder have been steeped in conspiracy theories. And in 1994, Lee Harvey Oswald's widow, Marina, hinted at what was really going on behind the scenes. She claimed the answer to the Kennedy assassination is with the Federal Reserve Bank. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. This is our second episode on the Federal Reserve. After it was officially established in 1913, the Fed became the central bank for the United States and still remains in place today. They have complete control over the U.S. economy and the value of the dollar. Last week, we explored the official story of the Federal Reserve. We learned how it works independently from the United States government, acting as a bank for the banks. It can change interest rates, offer lines of credit, and add or subtract the total amount of money in circulation. This week, we'll explore a few conspiracy theories tied to the nation's central bank. 
Conspiracy theory number one, the Federal Reserve caused the Great Depression. Conspiracy theory number two, the Federal Reserve ordered JFK's assassination. In conspiracy theory number three, the Fed was built as a tool for secret societies looking to establish a new world order. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. As children, we learn the different branches of government and the basic principles of how the United States government is supposed to operate. Oftentimes, that lesson includes our nation's central bank, the Federal Reserve. But in reality, the Fed is its own independent institution, separate from the government. Because of that, it's not bound by the same systems of checks and balances. The Fed has the power to change the value of the dollar overnight by adding or subtracting the amount of money in circulation. So when they mismanage a financial situation, the United States' entire economy can be thrown off course. And thanks to globalization, a misstep could damage the entire world economy. The results of this could be devastating. Which brings us conspiracy theory number one. The Federal Reserve creates and perpetuates economic disasters like the Great Depression. Historians argue that the Great Depression may have been caused by the stock market crash of 1929. Or possibly, 
economic expansion after the First World War. But economists like Milton Friedman believe that the Federal Reserve is to blame. It turned a recession into an unparalleled depression. From 1929 to 1933, the United States saw a massive drop in the national money supply, which means a lot of currency disappeared from circulation. Simultaneously, after the stock market crashed in 1929, bank deposits significantly decreased, meaning people wanted to hold on to their cash for fear of it vanishing from their accounts. As a result, banks' reserves, or liquid money, were so low they had to borrow from one another to pay back their clients. And this became especially problematic for the banks that were outside of the Federal Reserve System, which had nowhere to turn but to each other. Over time, this became a vicious cycle. The nation went into a period of economic decline known as a recession. The Federal Reserve had the power to change that, but they didn't. Their job was to provide more money to the banks. Instead, they decreased the number of dollars in circulation by one-third. The less paper money there was around, the less Americans had to pay their bills. Which meant consumer prices had to be slashed in half to motivate people to make purchases and stimulate the economy. But this, in turn, made companies' revenues drop. Now, they were vulnerable to hostile takeovers. Many businesses were bought out, and the few businesses that didn't get bought out couldn't pay interest on loans, which hurt the bank's bottom lines. The banks went to the Fed and begged for more money. But the Federal Reserve refused to help. Keep in mind that the stock market had crashed a dozen times before, including the Panic of 1907. But it had never led to a depression, especially one of this magnitude. In fact, the crash of 1929 was the first stock market crash since the Federal Reserve had gone into business, and what could have been a mild recession escalated into an economic disaster, because the Fed let it happen, and it may have been part of a larger plan. Marvin Dumont, a corporate finance writer for Medium.com, pointed out that central banks like the Fed have godlike power over the economy. They can crash the market so its wealthy backers can buy businesses for 90% of their normal going rate. Then, these businesses and their owners make a fortune when the nation recovers. And that's exactly what happened during the Great Depression. Many privately run banks outside of the Federal Reserve System went bankrupt. They were purchased for pennies on the dollar by larger players like J.P. Morgan, one of the men who'd created the Federal Reserve, which meant his colleagues, the men pulling the strings behind the curtain of the Fed, also stood to gain. Murray Rothbard, a historian, economist, and author of America's Great Depression, suggested that this nefarious plan may have been in the works years before the Depression. Rothbard claimed that the Federal Reserve was responsible for causing inorganic boom-and-bust cycles to destabilize the American economy on purpose. A boom-and-bust cycle is a natural economic process of expanding and contracting. During a boom, the economy gets more prosperous. There are more jobs, people buy and consume more products, and the stock market generates more money for its investors. 
A bust is just the opposite. Oftentimes it's referred to as a recession. People lose their jobs as the demand for goods and services decreases. The stock market drops, which could lead to a run on the banks or a nationwide panic. This is a normal part of economics, but Rothbard believed the Fed had a hand in manipulating these boom and bust cycles, and they weren't happening organically. Ultimately, the Fed knew that manipulating the cycles could lead to a Great Depression, and then the Fed could capitalize on the market. And in the 1920s, the Fed created one of the largest, most unsustainable booms in American history. They drastically lowered interest rates, which made credit extremely easy to obtain. This caused people to overinvest or create malinvestments in markets that were unsustainable. An example of a malinvestment is the 1990s dot-com bubble. People were so excited about the internet, rushed to buy stocks in every tech company they could find, sometimes without doing proper research or vetting. So all tech companies saw their stock prices rise between 1995 and 2000. But from 2000 to 2002, those prices dipped back down to the original amounts, especially after the 9-11 attacks. People who'd bought expensive shares at their peak prices lost everything. This led to a domino effect. Broke investors couldn't afford to buy more stocks, let alone ordinary goods and services, which meant other non-tech businesses saw lower profits and their stocks also plummeted, and so on. The boom became a bust. Now, in this bust cycle, credit became more difficult to obtain. Those who borrowed money during the boom had an impossible time repaying their debts. The burst of the dot-com bubble had reverberations throughout the American economy in the early 2000s. But the bust that led to the Great Depression was even more devastating. People weren't just over-investing in tech stocks, they were over-investing in everything. According to Milton Friedman, the Fed knew that a boom-and-bust cycle this large would force economic activity to a halt, and they did nothing to stop it from happening. Because the big bankers and businessmen involved with the Fed profited from the decline. The Fed could have prevented this decline by pumping more money into the system. But they claim they failed to do so for a couple of reasons. First, they said that the Great Depression was unforeseen and unprecedented. Except this natural boom and bust cycle was nothing new for the American economy. It happened organically, without the coercion of the Fed, many times before. It wasn't until the Federal Reserve got involved that the bust landed the nation in such hot water. So to say it was completely unforeseen doesn't hold up. They also said that the decision makers in the Fed lacked the proper tools or authority to fix the problem. This may be true. As we mentioned last week, The Federal Reserve didn't have full control over all 12 of its branches when the stock market crashed. Instead, each district had a governor who created the rules for their own branch. They acted independently from the main Federal Reserve Board, which didn't have the tools to enforce national policy during the Great Depression. They couldn't come to a unanimous agreement on how to resolve the issue, so they simply didn't make a decision at all, and the economy suffered. This forced Congress to step in and enforce several new policies, like the Banking Act of 1935, 
to ensure a depression wouldn't happen again. In theory, this would empower the Fed so they wouldn't be hamstrung a second time. But it's very possible that the Federal Reserve knew exactly what they were doing, and the downturn in the 1930s was no accident. In 2002, a member of the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors gave a formal apology that suggested they were responsible for the Great Depression. Ben Bernanke made a speech at a conference honoring Nobel Prize-winning economist Milton Friedman, the same man who'd blamed the Great Depression on the Fed for decades. Ben stood in front of a crowd of hundreds and, on behalf of the Fed, offered an admission of guilt. He said... I would like to say to Milton and Anna regarding the Great Depression, you're right. We did it. We're very sorry. But thanks to you, we won't do it again. There you have it. A complete admission of guilt by the man who became the Fed's chairman of the board from 2006 to 2014. However, Bernanke may have been referring to the Federal Reserve's ineffective decision-making process and their unwillingness to add money to the system. He never explicitly said the Fed intentionally caused the Great Depression. Sure, but as we learned last week, the Federal Reserve was created by wealthy bankers. Many of them had lived through a stock market crash or a recession before. To say they couldn't predict a boom and bust cycle seems outlandish. That may be. But the economy had one of its most prosperous periods after World War I. Perhaps they weren't prepared for fluctuations of this magnitude. Even if that were the case, they did nothing to help the broken system. The Fed's primary job is to be a lender of last resort. Instead, they decreased the U.S. money supply by one-third. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan's associates gobbled up the failed banks to profit from later on which is why it's highly likely the Fed caused the Great Depression intentionally. The men who founded the Fed reaped too much profit. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable and 1 meaning the theory isn't persuasive at all, I give this theory an 8. I'm not convinced the Fed had some nefarious plan to sabotage the United States economy. I think their lack of action was due to structural ineffectiveness. So I give this theory a 4. Out of 10. Whether or not the Federal Reserve intentionally caused the Great Depression, we can agree they had their own best interests in mind. Their executives certainly took advantage of the opportunity to enrich themselves, and that might not be the most nefarious thing the Fed has ever done. Three decades after the Great Depression, they may have leveraged their power to rope the CIA and other players into their plans to assassinate. President Kennedy. Coming up, John F. Kennedy signs a new policy that threatens the existence of the Federal Reserve. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. 
No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now back to the story. In 2002, Ben Bernanke, soon to be chairman of the Federal Reserve, admitted that the organization was responsible for the Great Depression, but he never clarified whether or not the outcome was deliberate. The truth is, Bernanke may have given that confession to distract from the bigger things the Federal Reserve had to cover up. Like conspiracy theory number two, the Federal Reserve orchestrated President Kennedy's assassination after he tried to limit their power. After his inauguration in 1961, John F. Kennedy hit the ground running. He created the Peace Corps, proposed a Civil Rights Act, and tried to ease the country away from soaring debt. The recession of 1958 had been the most significant recession since the end of World War II, and recovery was slow. By the time Kennedy took office, employment was hovering at 6.8%, and consumer spending had slowed in response to inflated prices. It would take a strong leader to revitalize the economy. And Kennedy wanted to be the one to do it. He implemented domestic policies that slashed tax rates and increased deficit spending without any regard to the national debt. National debt is the amount of money a country owes its creditors. When the U.S. government spends more than it receives in tax payments, it's forced to go to lenders like the Federal Reserve for loans. Stephanie Kelton, the chief economist behind modern monetary theory, suggested that excessive government spending and debt can cause inflation. Inflation, in turn, raises the interest the government will owe on future loans, which benefits the institutions that hold the government's debt. So in order to get the country financially back on track, Kennedy advocated for the government, rather than the Federal Reserve, to issue and regulate money. This meant that they'd no longer have to borrow money from the Fed, nor would they have to pay interest. On June 4, 1963, Kennedy signed an executive order which empowered the Treasury to issue something called silver certificates. They were paper bills that looked very similar to our dollar bills, only they didn't have the Fed's name on them. Silver certificate dollars weren't new to the American economy. In fact, they were used as far back as 1878. But these certificates were backed by the U.S. Treasury's silver reserves, unlike our current fiat money, which is backed by nothing but supply and demand. Remember, the American gold standard had mostly been abandoned during the Great Depression, 
in favor of fiat money. And in 1933, FDR had called for all the nation's gold to be returned to the Federal Reserve in exchange for dollars on the ounce. So Kennedy's silver certificate program was a step backward. But he was willing to backtrack to grow the economy. With a quick flourish of a pen, Kennedy ordered $4 billion worth of U.S. notes into production through the U.S. Treasury. That's the equivalent of $33 billion today. Kennedy's hope was that if enough silver-backed dollars circulated, he could eliminate the Federal Reserve notes entirely, since they were backed by nothing of value. Kennedy's administration supported his efforts to wrench the economy out of the Fed's control. The controller of currency, James J. Saxon, frequently butted heads with the Federal Reserve. The Office of the Comptroller Currency, or the OCC, is a bureau within the Department of Treasury that charters, regulates, and supervises all national banks, both in and out of the Federal Reserve system. The Federal Reserve Board were frustrated with Saxon's attempts to give more flexible allowances to the banks outside of the Fed's oversight. Saxon had declared that non-reserve banks could have some of the same privileges given to those within the system, like allowing them to issue insurance policies and credit cards. The loosened restrictions threatened to weaken the Federal Reserve by empowering their competition. Needless to say, the Federal Reserve Board wasn't pleased, especially since Saxon worked so closely with the man who was trying to take them down, Kennedy. But the Federal Reserve wasn't Kennedy's only enemy. Just a year before passing his executive order, Kennedy met with his Joint's Chiefs of Staff about a proposal called Operation Northwoods. It permitted the Central Intelligence Agency to stage and commit acts of terrorism against the U.S. military and private citizens. Then they would blame it on the enemy to justify a war. His Joint Chiefs of Staff had already approved the order. They just needed Kennedy to sign off. Except the president immediately rejected the proposal. In fact, he was so appalled that he considered dismantling the agency entirely. Kennedy reportedly told one of his officials, I will splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces. So it appeared Kennedy had plans to dissolve the CIA and overthrow the Federal Reserve, which gave the two agencies a powerful motive to team up and solve their problems by getting rid of President Kennedy. On November 22, 1963, Kennedy was shot and killed during a trip to Dallas, Texas, and the man accused of the assassination, Lee Harvey Oswald, was a former Marine who had significant ties to the CIA. Delphine Roberts, the secretary to an ex-FBI-turned-CIA agent named Guy Bannister, claimed that she'd seen Bannister meet with Lee Harvey Oswald at their office the September before Kennedy's murder. There's no evidence that this meeting or Oswald were ever linked to the Federal Reserve, or that the Federal Reserve and the CIA had ever teamed up at all. Nevertheless, shortly after Kennedy's death, all of the United States silver certificates were called out of circulation. It was one of the first things President Lyndon B. Johnson did when he inherited Kennedy's position, almost as if Kennedy's killers 
were applying pressure to get what they wanted. The money the Treasury hadn't distributed was destroyed, and the U.S. government gave zero explanation to the public. But it didn't end there. The Federal Reserve had a grudge against JFK's brother, Robert Kennedy, as well. President Johnson was up for re-election in 1968, but one candidate threatened to compete with Johnson and the Federal Reserve, Robert Kennedy. Robert had been the U.S. Attorney General when JFK was killed, and it was well known that he shared his brother's concerns about the Federal Reserve. He was also the leading Democratic candidate for the presidency. On June 5, 1968, he won the Democratic presidential primary in California. But that night, outside the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, a 24-year-old man named Sirhan Sirhan shot and killed Robert Kennedy. After Sirhan's arrest, Harvard Medical School professor Daniel P. Brown examined him. Brown was an expert in forensic psychiatry and hypnosis. He said, Mr. Sirhan did not act under his own volition and knowledge at the time of the assassination and is not responsible for actions coerced and or carried out by others. Brown went on to claim that Sirhan was a real-life Manchurian candidate. Brown was referring to the CIA's notorious mind control program known as MKUltra. Allegedly, Sirhan may have been under the influence of advanced mind control techniques developed by the CIA. They coerced him into doing the government's, or perhaps the Fed's, dirty work. And if the CIA and the Federal Reserve had worked together before to eliminate President Kennedy, then it would make sense that they would collaborate to assassinate his brother, too. Except there's hardly any evidence that the two organizations ever teamed up. Oswald may have been involved with the CIA, which means that organization could have played a role in Kennedy's assassination. But there's nothing to suggest that the Federal Reserve acted as a third party. It sounds more like the bad blood between Kennedy and the Fed spiraled into a hostile rumor, which is why I'm giving conspiracy theory number two at two out of 10. There might not be concrete evidence of Federal Reserve involvement in the Kennedy assassination, but there was a motive. We know for a fact that President Kennedy ordered silver-backed money to be printed for circulation, and it's very bizarre that it was recalled immediately after his death. Kennedy's administration aimed to take a lot of power away from the Federal Reserve. Perhaps he paid for it with his life, and perhaps his brother did too. So I'm giving this theory a 6 out of 10. Even though there's not much evidence that the Federal Reserve ordered either Kennedy's murder, they are an incredibly powerful organization, and their influence extends beyond the United States. Maybe their agenda dwarfs a mere presidential assassination. In fact, there's evidence that the organization was founded by secret societies, like the Illuminati, who have a long-term plan, global domination. Coming up, we'll explore our final conspiracy theory, that the Federal Reserve is part of the New World Order. And now back to the story. 
Five months after John F. Kennedy signed an executive order calling for a shift to the silver certificate, he was assassinated in Dallas. The Federal Reserve has been accused of working with the CIA to orchestrate the president's death and then doing the same to his brother Robert in 1968. But it's possible that the Federal Reserve is working towards a global agenda, one that's much more ominous than any presidential assassination, one that makes them a cog in a much larger machine. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three. The Federal Reserve is an Illuminati tool meant to pave the road for a new world order. Ever since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, the United States has suffered a slow but significant devaluation in the dollar. And many critics, including politician Ron Paul, believe that today the dollar is on the verge of collapsing completely. This would cause economic turmoil. Investors may turn to other countries' currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. A disaster on this scale could also lead to a complete financial takeover by a more powerful country. But some suggest that that's all part of the plan. Like historian of far-right extremists, Mark Pitcavage. He claimed, the United States is the last bastion of freedom in the world, but our own government is actually collaborating with the new world order to strip away our rights and freedoms. And once we're rendered defenseless, the new world order will sweep in and enslave us like it's enslaved the rest of the world. Allegedly, those pulling the strings of this new world order are the same organizations that hold most of the world's financial power, like the United Nations, Wall Street, and, of course, the Federal Reserve. The new world order is said to be a clandestine, authoritarian world government that demands the subservience and unification of every nation— To achieve these goals, the New World Order has established fronts to slowly infiltrate political and financial circles, fronts like the Federal Reserve. That's because the New World Order uses cash as their weapon of choice. As we saw with the Great Depression, those who control the money hold the power. And weaponized money can destabilize the United States and all the other countries that trade with it. Cash has a larger reach and can affect more people than a nuclear bomb. The Federal Reserve is the perfect tool because it can deflate the value of the dollar and then buy back control. All the board has to do is add a few zeros to the economy with a click of a mouse. Of course, the idea of a new world order is a hypothetical scenario. We can't prove that it exists. But it has been part of the conversation surrounding some of history's most secretive societies like the Freemasons and the Illuminati, dating back to the 1700s. And many of America's founding fathers were thought to be Freemasons, like George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and the nation's first Secretary of Treasury, a man who fought for centralized banks, Mr. Alexander Hamilton. In 1776, the same year the United States signed the Declaration of Independence, The Illuminati was founded in Germany. After the society held a secret meeting known as the Congress of Wilhelmsbad in 1782, many Masonic lodges merged with the Illuminati, particularly in North America. 
Members of the new combined society included powerful political and financial figures looking to gain global control, and they began by influencing the markets. In the latter half of the 1800s, a German member of the Illuminati named Jacob Henry Schiff came to the United States tasked by the highest members of the society to influence the nation's financial system. Over time, he climbed the ranks at the banking firm Kuhn, Loeb & Company. He also became the director of the National City Bank of New York, the Equitable Life Assurance Society, and the Union Pacific Railroad. According to The Truth About Freemasons, Illuminati, and the New World Order, by an author with the mysterious pseudonym SDSCMW, Schiff allied with New York's big bankers, men like J.P. Morgan, Paul Warburg, and the Rockefellers, all of whom attended the 1910 meeting on Jekyll Island to form the Federal Reserve. Whether or not they joined the Illuminati or sided with them unwillingly remains a society secret, but Schiff and the Illuminati needed to make sure that the Federal Reserve Act passed. They did so by manipulating the following year's presidential election. Schiff and a few other wealthy American Illuminati members gave a generous contribution to Woodrow Wilson's campaign. With their financial support, Wilson won the election. Afterward, he appointed Carter Glass, a well-liked U.S. representative, to propose the Federal Reserve Act to Congress. Sounds a bit like a mutually beneficial quid pro quo. Soon after the bill passed, the Federal Reserve's alleged role in the New World Order ramped up, especially at the tail end of World War II. Forty-four countries spent three weeks at a United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference in July 1944. The attendees agreed on the rules and procedures to regulate the global monetary system. The result was two new agencies. First, the International Monetary Fund, which monitored worldwide financial developments and helped with policy and crisis prevention. The other was the World Bank, which provided financial support to middle- or low-income countries. And the kicker was, both of these agencies agreed to use the American dollar as their reserve currency. Which meant that the Federal Reserve now had even more control over the global banking system. And this agreement brought the world one step closer to utilizing a single global currency, the U.S. dollar. But if these historical accounts aren't enough to convince you, grab a few bills from your wallet and take a look for yourself. Conspiracy theorists have long speculated that the Masonic founding fathers infused the society's symbolism into American culture, all in an effort to inevitably usher in their new world order. And some examples are printed on the Federal Reserve's $1 bill. Note the disembodied all-seeing eye, or the eye of providence, which hovers over the pyramid on the back left side of the bill. This is a common symbol in Freemasonry that represents the eye of God, and the reminder that humanity was always being observed by a higher power. The motto inscribed in the seal beneath that pyramid reads, Novus Ordo Seclorum. That's Latin for... New Order of the Ages, which sounds awfully synonymous with New World Order. 
and many argue that the pyramid's Roman numeral marking refers to 1776, the year that the Illuminati was founded. But it seems more likely that this signifies the year the Declaration of Independence was signed. Except there's also the repetitive use of the number 13. There are 13 steps on the pyramid and 13 stars above the eagle. The eagle himself holds 13 arrows and 13 leaves on his olive branch. The number 13 has a lot of significance in Freemason history, as well as in the practice of occult magic. There are even 13 letters in the phrase New World Order. But the number 13 probably represents the number of American colonies. And Masonic organizations deny a connection between the dollar's design and their society. So while it's easy to turn the symbolism into something conspiratorial, it makes more sense that the dollar's design draws from important parts of American history. As for the Federal Reserve being a pawn in the New World Order, you have to admit that the World Bank seems to be a step in that direction. It empowers the Federal Reserve on the world stage by using the American dollar as its reserve currency. Perhaps. But there's very little evidence to prove that the Federal Reserve was ever affiliated with the Illuminati to begin with, or that the New World Order even exists. Does money buy power? Absolutely. Is the Federal Reserve a pawn in a nefarious plot to take over the world? I don't think so. Which is why I give this theory a 2 out of 10. I entirely agree with that score. There's a big difference between a totalitarian new world order that wants to maliciously control the planet and a world bank that can help impoverished countries in a time of need. And as one of the wealthiest nations in the world, it makes sense that the U.S. dollar would be the World Bank's note of choice. That may give the Fed more power, but I don't think it's part of some grand design. After hearing a few of the conspiracy theories surrounding the Federal Reserve, I think we can safely say that the most likely scenario is conspiracy theory number one, that the Federal Reserve caused the Great Depression— even the Fed itself admitted to its culpability. Whether the act was nefarious or intentional, well, that's still up for debate. I agree. It feels like the most obvious of the three theories. That said, the Federal Reserve is still alive and well, and still pulls the strings of our economy with little supervision from the government. This means that theory number three could one day become a reality. And anyone with money in the bank or stock market, or anyone who uses American dollars at all, could become a pawn in the Federal Reserve's dangerous game. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Monday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth.
Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Mike Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs> <laughs>